0: Thank you, Joel. Good morning. I'm going to tell you it is so this morning, Tom. I'm going to tell you why, too. (laughs) James chapter 4, verse 14 says this You do not know what tomorrow will bring, what is your life, for you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Now, how's that for a really encouraging scripture to begin the morning, huh? <laughs> huh? At first glance, it's not encouraging at all, right? At first glance, without any context, you might even think it to be fatalistic, defined as believing that people cannot change the way events will happen and that events, especially bad ones, cannot be avoided, or demonstrating a belief that all events are inevitable so no choices or actions make any difference. Now, fatalism as is true in much of human reasoning and philosophy, is only partly true. In one sense, it really is true. If God is truly sovereign, then his control over humanity and history means that what will happen will happen. It is inevitable. God's plans and purposes will be accomplished in us as individuals, and in human history scripture affirms this one passage that affirms this is Isaiah chapter 46 where we read for I am God and there is no other I am God and there is none like me declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done saying my counsel will stand and I will accomplish all my purpose but where fatalism is not true is in the second part of the definition we just read one's choices and actions make no difference says worldly fatalism as Christians we believe that God is truly sovereign because the Bible tells us so but we also believe that our thoughts our attitudes and our actions in this life do matter because the same Bible tells us so so what we do in this life matters and sometimes this might seem to our finite minds like a paradox how in the world can these two things go together But even if it seems like a paradox, it doesn't make it any less true. If our choices and actions didn't matter, why is the Bible so clear that we should pray? Why would prayer matter? If our choices and actions don't matter, why are we commanded to love one another? What difference does that make? If our choices and actions don't matter, why does God tell us to go into all the world to preach the gospel, to be his witnesses? Why would God tell us to seek peace and pursue it? Why does the Bible tell us in Galatians chapter 6, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, he will also reap. That sounds like choices, doesn't it? For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So if our choices don't matter, we should all just do whatever we want. Not make sacrifices for each other. Not make sacrifices for the Lord. Not deny ourselves anything we want. Not take up our cross. Instead, we should just live to please ourselves. As Paul wrote to the Corinthians in chapter 15 of First uh, Corinthians, What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised... Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. In other words, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what we do. Why should I sacrifice myself? But here in this verse, 1 Corinthians 15, 32, we see something that I want to explore more fully this morning. Yes, as we read in James, our life is a mist that then vanishes. We see that reinforced in many passages of Scripture. For example, 1 Chronicles 29, 15 says, For we are strangers before you and sojourners, As all our fathers were, our days on the earth are like a shadow and there is no abiding. A psalmist tells us in Psalm 144, verse 4, Man is like a breath, his days are like a passing shadow. So Paul, in writing to the Corinthians, affirms and denies fatalism with a huge caveat. Fatalism is true if there is no resurrection. He tells us that if there is no resurrection... Fatalism is true. You might, able, might just as well do whatever you want, including anything that the Bible declares to be sinful. Why does it matter? But because without a resurrection, we just die and we fade into nothingness. But Scripture declares there is a resurrection, not just of Jesus, but of us. And that applies to all of us. Those who are in Christ and those of us who are not will also be resurrected. There will be a resurrection to eternal life for those who are in Christ, and a resurrection to eternal death, for those who don't. Because this is true, then what we do in this life does, in fact, matter. And even though it is true that our life is like a breath, like mist, like a shadow, this life is not the end. And it's not all there is. That's pretty important as we move forward this morning. So how we live our lives does matter, It does count for eternity. This is not to say that we balance the good and the bad. You've seen the scales of justice, right? Hoping that the good outweighs the bad to determine our eternal destiny. Our eternal destiny is based solely, completely, only on what Christ has accomplished for us on the cross. And whether or not we've trusted in His sacrifice for our eternal destiny. So we want to be clear on that. Still, how we live our lives does matter, even though, in the scheme of things, our lives are just a moment they 're a mist, a blip on the radar screen of eternity. On the one hand, the sermon title you're getting old" applies quite literally to many in this room. Look around, lots of gray hair here, a sign of aging. but we 're all getting older, so you young people this morning i don 't want you tuning out if your gray sand feathers. You're just 15 years old, and you have most of your life ahead of you. But you're also 5,680 days old. Your heart has beat more than half a billion times. I'm sure you knew that, right, Grace Ann? And you've taken more than 150 million breaths. Grace Ann's birth date of January 17, 2008 is actually closer to the start of the 1992 Olympics in Barcelona than it is to today. So Grace Ann's getting older, too. On the other hand, if you're me, I'm almost 67 years old. That's 24,450 days old. My heart has beat, and of course these are averages, right? Calculating by years. My heart has beat almost 2.5 billion times. And I've taken more than 500 million breaths. My birth date of August 27, 1956, is actually closer to the opening of the Moulin Rouge Cabaret in Paris in October 1889 than it is to today. That makes me feel old. And then we have Jim Garrett. He's 92, or 33,908 days old today. His heart has beat almost 3.4 billion times and he's taken almost 720 million breaths. Jim's birth date is actually closer to the coronation of Queen Victoria in June 1838 than it is to today. So old is relative, isn't it, right? None of us in this room would think of Grace Ann as old, but Grace Ann would certainly think of both me and Jim Garrett as old, probably because we are. But unless the Lord returns first, Jim will die, I will die, and Grace Ann will die. Barring unforeseen accidents or illnesses, just because of our current ages, it's likely Jim will die first, I'll be sometime after him, and then Grace Ann sometime long after both of us. Now, I don't want this message to feel morbid in any way this morning. We don't talk about death. We don't talk about dying. Maybe we should. Maybe we should a little bit more. St. Isaac the Syrian, great quote here, prepare your heart for your departure. If you are wise, you will expect it every hour. When the time of departure comes, go joyfully and meet it, saying, come in peace, I knew you would come, and I have not neglected anything that could help me on the journey. That's what we're doing this morning. We're trying not to neglect anything that would help us along our journey and that's why this message this morning doesn't just apply to the many gray-headed ones among us it applies just as much to the young people in this church every bit as much because just as none of us knows the day or the hour of Christ's return none of us knows the day or the hour of our passage from this life into the next here's a really recent example that we all are aware of think of Art Turner His death was very sudden last year, wasn't it? Even shocking to many of us. It was totally unexpected. Art was about my age. And certainly, again, in the natural, we would have expected art to live another 15 or 20 years or more based on the current average life spans. But I don't really want to major this morning on our mortality. What I want to consider is how the reality of our mortality and the reality of eternal life and the truth that we're all getting older, inevitably, day by day, the reality that our time is short should impact the way we live our lives in the here and now. The way we live our lives today. The reality that our time is short. I want us to consider the reality also of our aging church and what this means for those of us in the last half or the last quarter or maybe the last decade of our lives. Related to how this should affect those in our midst who have more than half or more than three-quarters of their lives ahead of them, like Grace Ann probably has, more than three-quarters of her life ahead of her. Again, these are reasons this message is for all of us, even those who would dismiss the idea that they're getting old. In some ways, I've embraced my aging. One of those ways I've embraced it is the joy of being a grandparent. Another of those ways is the life experience that my age has wrought. How that experience has generated more and more trust in God and his plans and his purposes for me, his provision. And how God may choose to use those experiences in the lives of younger people that we relate to. But in other ways, my aging is harder to embrace or welcome. The old man ailments, the aches and pains that I have every morning when I get up, that often accompany aging. The fact that just a little over a decade ago, I never went to the doctor. Now only, not only do I have a primary care doctor, but I have specialists in urology, cardiology, gastroenterology, dermatology, and probably soon pulmonology. Some days my days are absolutely filled with ologies. Can't swing a dead cat with it on about a hidden analogy that I need to think about. The weariness that I feel every day. The watching friends and family who are close to my age getting serious illnesses or dying. The days are long, but the years are short. The older you get, the more this meaning has, the saying has kind of a meaning in your life. Let's think of Psalm chapter 90, verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom numbering our days means making the most of whatever time God gives us because why the years are short when we're younger our perception of time seems slower it doesn't it when we're younger you get bored when is this gonna happen when is that gonna happen but the older we get it seems to be more like a snowball rolling downhill getting faster by the day gaining speed as the years go by I've told some of our young people that I cannot remember the last time I was bored. There seems to be so much to do and so little time to get it all done. A heart of wisdom, as we see in this psalm, enables faithful followers of Christ to live by right priorities. Realizing that life is short helps us use the time that we are given as a gift from God. And to use it wisely as stewards, as managers of God's good gift of life and time. And to use it for eternal purposes. We've all heard about bucket lists, right? Anybody here have a bucket list? Some of us do, right? Things that we really want to do uh, before we die. We want to accomplish. uh, In other words, it's called a bucket list because we want to do these things before we kick the bucket. Now, most of the time, people's bucket lists include things such as adventure or travel or maybe learning something new. Nothing wrong with those kinds of things. But just as we are stewards of God's money, that is, it all belongs to God, none of it belongs to us, and we must seek his will and his direction on how best to spend our money for our needs, for his kingdom purposes, we are also stewards of time. He gives each one of us 24 hours a day. It's not our money, it's God's money. It's not our time, it's God's time. We spend time, right? You spend time with somebody? We spend time like we spend money. The question is, will we submit how we spend our money? Will we submit how we spend our time to God's purposes for us as individuals? That goes for all of us. Again, not just for those of us who are older, but it's especially relevant to us as we near retirement age. Now the world's way with retirement is to kick back, eat chocolate bonbons, drink mint juleps, do as little as possible of those things you don't really want to do. Kind of like a permanent vacation until you die. But is that consistent with what we see in Psalm 90, verse 12? Numbering our days and getting a heart of wisdom. Is that view of retirement anything that the Word of God commends? I don't believe it is. Any more than I believe when we're in our 20s or even our teens, we should be thinking about our money, our time, as our own to spend however we wish. We can see many examples in our own midst of people who've chosen to spend their retirement in ways I believe that Scripture really commends. There are more than just these even not looking just beyond these walls, but here are a few, and please don't take offense if I don't mention you, or we'd be here a lot longer than we're going to be here today. Dave Troutman retired from teaching just a few years ago, but he has stepped up his involvement in pastoral ministry here at TCF in a big way, and as many of you have benefited from that. I've also benefited from his work among us. None of us elders can adequately address all the spiritual and relational needs of this fellowship. Even me, even though I'm paid full time so I can give my full time attention to the needs of the body and not have to feel a need to earn a living outside. Dave has always served in many ways, visible ways, invisible ways. But now, freed from the time he would formerly spend working full time to earn income, he's taken time and filled that time with important gaps in pastoral ministry and very practical ministry, and I really appreciate it. And then I think of Jerry Dunn. In his retirement, he has freely given the church his many skills, spending countless hours remodeling our lobby. It's Just one example. Saving the church literally thousands of dollars. He also went with Gordon to minister in Ukraine, demonstrating his servant heart and his commitment to TCF's missions vision. He served the church for many years even before he was retired but now freed from the time he would formerly spend working full time to earn an income he has served the kingdom of God by serving TCF even more. These are just two examples again of many that I could cite here this morning. We have retirees who serve as prayers and we can't uh, underestimate how incredibly important that is. I remember Nettie You know, in the last seven years of her life, I visited Nettie every week in the nursing home where she lived. And I remember her uh, lamenting, well, you know, when she'd hear about this person or that person in her knee, I wish I could do more. I I I said, Nettie, you are praying, and there's absolutely nothing more important that you can do than that. So we see that. We see that. I believe we have a lot of great examples here of TCFers numbering their days, recognizing that the days are long but the years are short, and that their time is not theirs to spend, but it's God's to direct. The Bible talks about gray hair being a sign of wisdom, and it encourages us to see graying hair as a crown of glory. Some of us have a little more glory on the top of our heads than others. In some Asian and African cultures, older people are very much valued, highly valued. But in our Western culture, youth rules when it comes to glory, and it comes to attention. So the biblical idea that gray hair is to be honored doesn't get much traction. It's associated, though, with a long life. We read in chapter 16 of Proverbs, verse 31, gray hair is a crown of glory. It is gained in a righteous life. The book of Proverbs often illustrates, if you think about it, if you read through the book of Proverbs, you've seen that it illustrates two different ways to live. It compares and contrasts those things. It contrasts the way of wisdom with the way of foolishness or folly. Now, in this general view of life, foolish people make bad decisions, and as a result, they suffer consequences from those bad decisions, and they often die young. The wise make good decisions, and they reap the benefits of those good choices, and they live long enough to get gray hair. In the Old Testament, Older people aren't old folks or elder, elderly, they're referred to as grayheads. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 29 says, The glory of young men is their strength, but the splendor of old men is their gray hair. A lot of splendor in here. If you're helping someone move furniture, you may point to your son and say, I brought him along to be the muscle. You are defining him by just one part of his body, but you mean it as a compliment. After all, the glory of young men is their strength, but as the years go by and strength fades, that great attribute is replaced by another one. Strength is replaced by wisdom, so that the glory or splendor of old men is their wisdom, which is pictured in gray hair. Young men are great in strength, but small in wisdom. Old men are small in strength, but great in wisdom. God has a place or a role for them both. We have to remember that in Proverbs in general, including the biblical book of Proverbs, we see general rules for life. They are not promises. They are not universal truths. That's why, for example, Proverbs 22.6, a lot of parents quote that. It's, it's a general principle. It's not a promise. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he's old, he will not depart from it. This is not a Bible promise. It's not the kind of Bible promise that Jesus gave us when he said, I'll never leave you or never forsake you. And because of that, This is not a guarantee that raising your kids with Bible teaching will guarantee that they will never walk away from the Lord. We need to remember that when we read Proverbs. So applying that understanding here, not everyone who has gray hair is wise, just like not every young man is strong with bulging biceps. There are some weak young men, even as there are some gray-headed old fools. Don't look around. But the point is this, everyone ages, and most will eventually see their hair turn gray. But only those who are wise, who have lived a righteous life, will be crowned with a gray-headed crown of glory. The Word encourages each of us, young and old, to work to earn that crown. Not for salvation purposes, but to earn that crown. Because everyone ages, but not everyone grows wise. What we consider or perceive to be old, think about it, it changes significantly as we get older. When we're teenagers, anybody as old as our parents or older is old, even if our parents are only in their late 30s or early 40s. When we're 20-something, 45 to 50 now, it's gone out a little bit. That's what starts to seem old to us. When we're 30-something, that perception of old starts to trend toward the mid-50s. I'm 30 it can't be 40 because I'm almost 40 and on it goes now with many friends and the brothers and sisters here in Christ here at TCF who are over 70 that doesn't feel so old to me anymore and uh, 30 years ago it would have felt ancient of course when you're a teenager every adult seems old for my 40th birthday a friend gave me a card that said 40 is not old if you're a tree thinking about Psalm 90 verse 12 again, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. One of the things we might do in numbering our days and getting that heart of wisdom is to consider the choices that we make today that might impact our lives when we're grayheads. In other words, let the shortness of life inform and influence our decisions. You may have heard this old adage that somebody on their deathbed no one ever says, I wish I'd spent more time at the office. Right? That's not the kind of regret people express on their deathbed. They might say, I wish I'd spent more time with my family. Or I wish I'd spent more time with my brothers and sisters in Christ. So even when, maybe especially when we are younger, a heart of wisdom will inform the life choices that we make. Let's say you want to forget about getting married so you can advance in your career. I don't wanna, uh, Being married will get in the way of advancing your career, and that might be true. Well, keep in mind that there are consequences to a decision like that. When you're on your deathbed, the human resources department is not going to come and hold your hand. So our lives are short, like a vapor, a mist, dust in the wind. That thought could be morbid or depressing, as we've already noted. Or it could lead to a heart of wisdom and motivate us. For example, our brief, little, vaporous lives—if we consider and ponder this reality—may help us love the world less. Think about that. Now, we're not talking about the world in the sense that it's used in John 3:16, but the world in the sense of the things of the world, as in 1 John chapter 2. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. You need to remember this. The things of the world are like ice sculptures. You've seen an ice sculpture? Usually it's in the frozen north. Joel's probably seen a lot of ice sculptures. Or think about snowflakes you catch in your hand without a glove. You hold it for a moment, and it's gone. If we're getting old, if our lives are like vapor that vanishes, and again, that applies to all of us here, young and old alike, why should we set our hearts on things that we can't keep? They don't provide true contentment anyway. Why make long plans for a short stay? Missionary Jim Elliott, martyred missionary, Jim Elliot is famous for saying he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Also considering the brevity of our lives humbles us. Pride is something that plagues us all and we must put pride by God's grace to death. It's something we should battle in ourselves. How can we be prideful if we know that our life is short? The rich person, the poor person, everybody in between, their lives are short. How how can that lead to pride? Just like everybody else, there's no room for pride in the reality that our lives are short. Considering that we are dust and vapor that's gone in a short time should also move us toward repentance. Sometimes we put off repenting. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but sometimes we say, well, I'll repent of that tomorrow. But when we realize how uncertain each day is, Putting off the most important thing is dangerous. Understanding the shortness of life helps us see that we must repent today. Instead of delaying it or putting it off to a seemingly distant and uncertain future, how do we know we'll even have the opportunity to repent? How can we give in to temptation in the morning when before the end of today we may be standing in God's presence? We just don't know, do we? Considering how brief our lives are, can help us resist temptation. Why should we sin today when we may die tomorrow? Something that many of us have considered in the past few years, as we've lost loved ones, we've lost fellow brothers and sisters in Christ here at TCF, is that the shortness of life can bring us comfort in sorrow and grief. Our faith does not completely do away with grieving. It's not meant to. But it does put boundaries on it. We weep as not those who have no hope. We do weep, but we don't weep as those who have no hope. We can find biblical comfort in the reality that life is short, and every loss will soon, in God's grand scheme of things, be redeemed in his presence. What a wonderful thing to think about. Understanding life is short also helps us value grace. Time may be short, but God's grace is forever. It doesn't expire when our lives expire. It's an inheritance in Christ that lasts forever. Grace will outlast time into eternity future. We must think about that, what we've done with time and the opportunities given to us. Ephesians 5 says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Maintaining our interest, our focus, our zeal for the things of God gets more and more difficult as our bodies wear out, or it gets harder as our bodies get softer. We have to be realistic. This is not a new phrase. Most of you have heard this, maybe said it yourself. Getting old isn't for wimps. Our memories may fade. Our powers of concentration may diminish. Our weariness will be our constant companion. Yet our zeal for the things of God does not have to fade. But the only way this is possible, the only way it's possible for our bodies to continue to wear out, but our zeal doesn't, is through grace and hope. I think God made us hopeful by nature. He made us a hopeful people. And that's an important thing for us to remember. Hope motivates, it energizes, it drives us. It's natural for us to look ahead and to long for those good things that we see down the road, isn't it? J.I. Packer, in his book Finishing Our Course with Joy, he wrote just a few years before he died, wrote this. It was always in his plan, God's plan, that we, his embodied rational creatures, should live our lives in this world looking forward to and preparing for something even better than we have known already. One short detour before we close. I could have probably taken a whole sermon on this point, but I just want to make this a little detour. Let's take advantage of the demographic makeup of this fellowship. In other words, some people may look at this church, see the fact that we have a lot of gray heads in the room, and the majority of us in this room are over 50, they may look at that and see that as a negative thing. I've heard that expressed. But for those of us who are older, let's take advantage of the perspective and energy of those in our midst who are younger. And for those of you who are younger, let's take advantage of the wisdom and perspective of age. I think an intergenerational church can be and is, in our case, a strong church with a lot of spiritual life. I think we have that here. So let's rejoice in that. Let's capitalize on that instead of lamenting that. Always happy to have young, young people come to church, okay? That's not what I'm saying. But let's remember that we have something special here at TCF. You're getting old, my brothers and sisters. That goes for all of you, even the youngest in our midst this morning. And that reality throughout the course of our lives will mean changes in body, in mind and in spirit our lives are a mist but God is eternal and we have the amazing privilege uh, privilege here as believers in Christ of anticipating that eternity and living our lives in light of that eternal truth let that truth sustain us by his grace i want to close with a uh, The whole chapter, actually, of Titus 2. It's 15 verses, so hang here with me. But I want you to listen to the Apostle Paul's admonition to Titus and to all of us who are getting old, which, as we've seen, is all of us. (coughs) Paul writes, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, And rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for the biblical truths we've considered here this morning. We're grateful, Father, that though our lives are like a vapor, they're a mist, they're dust blown in the wind and here today and gone tomorrow, Father, that you are eternal. And we have the privilege of serving an eternal God. Lord, let the reality of our lives being short Lead us, Father, to righteous living. Give us a heart of wisdom, Lord, even as the psalmist wrote, that we may have a heart of wisdom and only you can provide that wisdom through your word, Father God, through our brothers and sisters in Christ. We pray that we would always look, whatever age we are, knowing that we're getting older, that we would look to you as our source of wisdom and grace. Father God, help us, Lord God, to not lament the reality that we're getting old, but instead, Father, to live righteously for you through every day that you give us on this earth. In Jesus' name, amen.